0: So, uh, as we get started this morning, uh, I just have to to tell you guys, I love food. Anybody else love food? Okay, sweet. There's a lot of hands. I'm not alone. Uh, I love food. I love good food, right? And, and I think part of that, being an American, we are very spoiled. Uh, we have access to lots of great food. Uh, before we lived in Austin, we lived in Houston, which is known for all of its amazing food. I think Austin's up there too, you know, with all of our food trucks. And I just love good food. And food's a big part of our life. And growing up, food was always a big part of my life. Uh, my dad really likes to cook, and so he kind of passed that on. And so I enjoy cooking. I like grilling. I like baking. I like doing some of the things, just get, get in the kitchen or get outside on the grill. And just like cooking. Good food, so we can enjoy it, <laughs> and uh, and so I'm thankful for food. And uh, and as I think about food, uh, we are actually starting a new series today called "The Table" or "Come to the Table." And we're going to do something a little different. We actually aren't going to dive into a text uh, this morning and unpack a text together, but we're we're going to start all the way in the book of Genesis, and we're going to look all the way to the book of Revelation. That's the first book, in case you didn't know, to the last book. And we're going to see how this idea of food and the table is actually weaved through the entire text. And so a little bit different than what we typically do on a Sunday morning, but I want you to, to notice that food is a big deal, and food's a big deal to God. And in, in fact, I would even uh, argue after reading, uh, it's, it's very possible that, that food is one of God's love languages. I think it's one of my love languages. The fastest way to my heart is through my stomach a lot of times, right? And my wife knows that. And so, but notice how food is a big deal uh, in our lives because uh, every day you wake up, it's like, what are we going to eat today? Right? What are we going to, I mean, for most of us, not all of us, maybe, but for me, like the first day I'm thinking, like, what are we going to eat? My, actually, my kids are asking the night before before bed, hey, what are we having for breakfast tomorrow, you know? Uh, we go on vacations, and it's like that's like our primary focus is, okay, what are we going to eat? And then we eat, and then we say, okay, well, what are we going to eat for the next meal? And then we, have, we add that meal, and what are we going to eat for the next meal? And so we're always talking about food the whole time we're on vacation. You think about significant events, significant moments in our lives, birthdays. Hey, what do you want to eat for your birthday, definitely bluebell ice cream, I know that's a big part of it, um, and barbecue, whatever it might be. But so you have these different things that you like for uh, your, your special meals that you get to pick, what you're going to eat. My, my kids love that. We always ask them. Uh, what do you want to eat? And, uh, and so that's, that's a, a fun part of birthdays. Uh, you know, you, you have a wedding. And we know some of you guys have recently gotten married. Some of you guys are getting ready to get married. Uh, and so you have to figure out what you're going to eat for the rehearsal dinner and what you're going to eat for the, the, the reception. And food's a big part of weddings. Uh, for those of you that graduated from school, I mean, everybody's like, okay, what are we going to eat before the graduation? Okay, what are we going to eat after the graduation? I mean, it's, it's like always about food, right? There's always this table conversation. Where, what restaurant are we going to eat at? What, what are we going to do? So food is just everywhere. And even when people pass away, when we have a funeral, Food's a big part of that too, right? It's a time where we get together and we connect and we grieve and we comfort one another. We tell stories. But food has a central place in human life, in our existence. And if you notice, it's, it's there because that's the way God made us. God made us with a need to eat. He could have made us without the need to, to, to devour food, uh, but he made us with this capacity and this need to actually eat. And he could have made it where it was like we just ate the same thing all the time, but he didn't. He could have made it where it just everything tasted the same. But it doesn't. You see, God is a very creative, generous, beautiful creator, God. And so he's given us this ability to, to eat. Um, and so we're going to look this morning, even at a very foundational level, to see that God made us with the need to eat and connect. And it's at the table we get to do both. That may be very elementary, may very simple. But I want you to, to to notice that because sometimes we tend to think, uh, I don't know about you guys, but in your brain, you have kind of the secular world, sort of the, the, the part of, of life that doesn't include God, and then you have the part of the life that does include God. But that's not the way that the Bible talks about us as human beings. That's not the way we were created. Everything is spiritual. Are you with me? Everything has spiritual value and significance. Everything has spiritual value and meaning. Everything is pointing us to a hunger and thirst for God, a desire for God. We we say, different, we say that in different ways, but everything is pointing us to God. We are spiritual creatures, and everything we do, whether it's work or play or eating or resting, all has spiritual significance to our lives. Are you still with me? So that, that there is no such thing as secular and spiritual. Everything is spiritual, and God has a purpose and a meaning. He, he wants us to see him, in all of the different facets of our life. And so this morning we see that the table is a significant place. So over the the coming weeks, we're going to talk about the table, and we're going to talk about not just the literal table, we're going to talk about the metaphor uh, throughout Scripture, how you see the the table, and you see it symbolic of the Christian community that God has for us. You also see the literalness of that. And and we're going to talk about what happens when we come to the table. But I want you on the very front end to know that you have an open invite to come to the table. There's an invite from God to come to the table and dine. And it's a beautiful thought that it's not just come and dine with other people, but in fact, the the greatest invitation is that we've been called to come and dine with God. To come and dine and to relate with and be in community with God. He's a personal God. And let me explain. So let's look at the, the Bible. The Old Testament if you have your notes, you're following along with this, we're going to look quickly at the Old Testament. I'm not going to hit all the passages on food because we'd be here till next year, okay? Food is all in the Scripture. But what you will notice is that, the, that food from the very beginning is significant because in the book of Genesis, the first couple of chapters, God starts with a menu, right? He gives them a menu. He says, here's what you can eat. And he tells them, I've created all these plants, all these amazing things for you to eat. And so Genesis 1 and 2, he tells man, he's put them in this beautiful garden He's he's given them all these things to enjoy, and one of the things he says is, here's some food to eat. So it starts with a menu, right? And then, of course, we know, if if you've read the Bible, that the story of humankind, it digresses. You get to chapter three, there was one thing he told them they couldn't eat, (laughs) and they did eat it anyway, and therefore there was a curse that entered the world. And so humankind starts to digress. We get Noah who comes along, of course, and he builds an ark and God rescues a small group of people in Noah's family. And they kind of start over again, but then human nature continues its downward spiral. Eventually God's people, God's chosen people through the person of Abraham, God's given them a promise. He says, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. All the nations are gonna be blessed through you. And, and you get to this point where God's family, these Israelite people end up enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh and they're being oppressed. And God chooses through the person of Moses and Moses' brother Aaron to let them be messengers and come to bring the people out of slavery. You guys know the story? One of the most significant parts of the Exodus, which by the way, we won't talk about the the beauty of the gospel narrative, the gospel story in the Exodus picture, in the in the Exodus, but what you will notice is that the climax of the Exodus is actually when the elders go up on the mountain in Exodus chapter 24 and eat with God. They eat with God. I don't know if you guys knew that, if you've seen that before, but they have this, it says the elders of Israel, they eat with God in Exodus 24. Uh, and then post that, God's people, God continues to give them instructions on how they are to live. Of course, at, uh, while they're out in the wilderness, God gives them the Ten Commandments, and one of the things that he gives them instruction on is how to have feasts and how to have these moments of celebration, uh, these times to remember God's goodness. And what you'll notice is that God creates seven different feasts, primary feasts, that that his people are instructed, even commanded to celebrate. Uh, that's pretty significant. That God would say, I want you to come to the table. I want you to come and celebrate and feast and eat and drink And remember me as you do it, seven times a year in these key festivals. There were different parts to each festival. There were different symbolic things that were going on in each festival. And some of you who maybe have been around Jewish people, maybe you grew up even in a Jewish background. Uh, I've met some people recently from Austin who have. uh, They have a different perspective on some of these festivals because they understand the symbolism that's there. And we as Christians, we can actually see some of those symbols and we can actually uh, notice how they point us to the person of Jesus, But regardless, they had these festivals they were to celebrate. Now, I don't know about you, but I read this, I I get excited, I'm like, man, this is pretty awesome because when you start adding up the number of festivals they, they had, if you add the festivals, which you go ahead and add Purim and Hanukkah to that, and then you add birthdays and weddings and births, which by the way, they actually know how to celebrate those things. You know, we, we kind of have like a rehearsal dinner and an after thing, an after party reception for weddings. They do it for like days. I'm like, I want to be a part of that wedding. You know, we're going to have for days, we're going to celebrate. Stop what you're doing, hang out for a week, right? And, and they literally, if you added it all up, at least three months of their year, they spent feasting. One out of four days. One out of four days, they are hanging out, feasting, Eating, celebrating. Have you ever thought about that? This was by God's instruction, God's design, okay? So what am I trying to say? Again, God sees the table, the meal, the celebration of food uh, and remembering him, celebration of him in the food uh, as very important. One of the most important uh, times as far as a meal was concerned was the Passover meal, and if you go, if you've ever, anybody ever done a Seder meal? Everybody experienced that? All the symbolism in it, uh, you know, you've got the bitter herb and you've got the salt water and you, you've got the lamb and you've got all these different parts of the story uh, of the Exodus and of what God's done for his people and through this meal. You see, God uses food a sensory experience that points us to his goodness, to his grace. And it helped these people remember their story. One of my favorite Psalms, Uh, is Psalm 23. I'm guessing for some of you, it's probably one of your favorites. The Lord is my shepherd. That's how it starts. We read it a lot of times at funerals or uh, just significant moments. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. One of the lines, it says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What is he talking about? Well, there's, there's multiple things to that, but he's, literally he provides for us. He provides for us in, in, and he takes care of us, not just physical nourishment, but spiritual nourishment. God provides for his people and he uses this imagery of a table being set before him. So, so that's what David writes in Psalm 23. Isaiah, he talks about uh, a messianic banquet before Jesus is ever on the scene. Again, Isaiah was a prophet, Uh, The the, the biggest book in the Old Testament is Isaiah, 66 chapters. It's kind of the gospel of the Old Testament. And Isaiah says that we're going to have this messianic feast and it's going to last forever. So if you're a believer, get ready to eat, okay? Because apparently we're going to have a feast forever. In fact, Jesus even alludes to this in feeding of the 5,000 in the New Testament and talks about how that we will have a perpetual multiplication of all that is needed for food and a feast Let's look at the New Testament for a second. That's just the Old Testament. And again, I've, I haven't even talked about all that's there. There's so much more in symbolism and in instruction. In the New Testament, we see that much of Jesus' ministry happens around a meal. In fact, you could even say that Jesus literally ate his way through the Gospels. <laughs> that may sound sacrilegious, but if you look at Jesus' life, especially in the book of Luke, Luke's account literally shows how Jesus went from a meal in transition to another meal, or he's sitting at the table. In fact, the whole gospel of Luke is Jesus really eating and and, and talking about things with people of significance while he's around a meal, or again, or transitioning to a meal. What's the point? Jesus saw the importance of the table. He saw importance of what was happening communally at the table. He saw the importance of what happens when people sit around the table and share a meal together. Significant. Significant time. And so Jesus did much ministry there. You think about the stories of Jesus' ministry. think about the moments where he was with the tax collectors and sinners. We're gonna talk about that in a couple weeks. We're gonna talk about how Jesus was there at the table and a lady comes in and she breaks a jar of perfume on Jesus' feet while they're eating. So they're eating a lot. And Jesus does great things and has great conversations, powerful conversations over meals. It's interesting that Jesus ate so much that the people that described him even said he was a glutton and a drunkard. There's only three things that we see in uh, the New Testament that says Jesus came to dot, dot, dot. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's probably one you guys know. Second one, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's another one maybe you probably know. Do you know what the third one is? Jesus came eating and drinking. That's the third one. I don't know how it fits in with the other two of them, but here's the point. Jesus is, was here to be with people. He wasn't so hyper-spiritualized. He wasn't so out there and disconnected from reality. He was with people in one of their basic needs, which was to eat and enjoy a meal. So all of you guys in the room that like really think a lot about food, you're like, oh. I'm like Jesus when I do that, right? See, Jesus he ate and he drank and he connected with people. He loved people. And so he spent time with them. Remember the story of Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your house today to eat a meal with you, right? When he called Matthew the tax collector out, shortly after that, we find him at a table with Matthew and all of his buddies. These sinners, these people he shouldn't have been hanging out with, they're around the table. They're enjoying a meal together. Significant that we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus. Not only did he minister through mills, he told parables that included mills because he knew people got it. If he wanted to get a man's attention, he says, hey, there was a man who served a party and it was really good barbecue and they got it from Lockhart. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Here's the deal. Food was probably a part of drawing people in. They understood it. They got it. And he uses this. He talks about a wedding feast. One of my favorite moments is when he's giving the story of the prodigal son. And it's actually the story of two sons. We call it the story, a lot of times, the prodigal son, but it's really the story of two sons. And what happens at the end of the parable? The father, what? Throws a party. He has a feast. He kills the fattened calf, and they have a feast. And it's in that, even, Jesus is trying to paint the picture that the kingdom of God is a place where there will be feasting. There will be a party. There will be a celebration for the redemptive work that's been done in and through the person of Jesus, the son that's not in the story, the son who laid down his life so that we could come to the party. So even in Jesus' storytelling and in his, in his, his uh, conversations with other people to help them understand, he would use these parables that included mills. We notice that when Jesus gets to the end of his ministry, his disciples were super puzzled. And you would too because we didn't, they didn't understand, just like we wouldn't have understood, what Jesus was saying when he said, I'm going to die, you know, that they're going to kill me. Uh, and, and his disciples are looking at him with puzzled look And instead of giving them just an explanation, he gives them a meal. He explains to them in an upper room what's called the Passover meal that became now the Lord's Supper. He took that meal and he he interjected a symbol of how his body would be broken and his blood would be shed. And if you come to Point, every Sunday we come to the table and we come to this communion table and we remember that Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed. And Jesus knew that it was a practical way that they could remember as they not only broke the bread they poured the cup of wine it wasn't welch's by the way it was wine and they 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 poured it and they they ate the bread and they remembered and it was a physical sensory experience to help them remember God's goodness and grace Jesus brought them into that room and he taught them and he showed them what was going to happen and what was going to happen next through this explanation in a meal the early church if you get to the book of acts if you've ever read the book of Acts, you'll find in the early church that the description in Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four says that they broke bread together. So if we wanna be the kind of church that reflects the early church, we need to eat together. Ever thought about that? Eating together is a part of that. That's one of the reasons why I love life groups. When we get together, we share a meal together. Some share dessert together. Uh, I prefer whole meal. Um, but we, we eat together and we enjoy that. And we, we, we as we eat We just enjoy the fellowship and the the community that comes around this need that we have to physically partake so that we can live the way God made us. So food is a part of community in that. In the early church, they did that. They broke bread together daily, not just communion. Though They did communion together, but they literally ate meals together. I already said this before, uh, but, you know, again, even in the New Testament church, the, the Uh, the significance of the meal uh, continued on. And we find that Paul in the early church, they had some issues that revolved around eating, eating with the wrong people, uh, as in the Gentiles. So Paul and Peter had a significant kind of falling out, kind of come to Jesus moment uh, argument over the Gentiles and how food related to who you could eat with and what kind of food you could eat and those kind of things. So even that impacted them. But then uh, I said this, that The Bible began with a menu, and it ends with a feast. When you get to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, if you haven't read all the way to the end of the Bible, I encourage you to do that. When you get to Revelation 19, it says that there will be a marriage feast, a marriage feast where we as the church, Christ's bride, come together with Christ, and there will be a massive feast and celebration, a wedding celebration on that day. Did you know that? Some of you are like, I don't know what this is all about. Like food, I'm just getting hungry. That's what I am. That was kind of my goal, right? No. So you see through the entire Bible this idea of food and the table and physical sustenance, nourishment, that always has the potential to point us to spiritual nourishment. Paul even says this. He says, whether you eat or drink, do it all for what? The glory of Jesus. There is a way to eat and to drink that can give glory to God. Remember what I said a while ago, sometimes we think this is the secular part and this is the spiritual part. But even in the eating and drinking, we see how God can be honored and he can be glorified as we come to the table and remember. In fact, I would summarize it this way, that The table is a communal experience where we remember and we enjoy God's physical and spiritual provision. We enjoy his physical and spiritual provision in a communal experience. And over the coming weeks, again, we're not going to talk about it all today. I believe there's some significant conversations that can be had at the table. There's a significant healing that can happen at the table. There can be learning that happens at the table. But ultimately, every time we eat, it's an opportunity to worship. It's an opportunity to worship. It's an opportunity to even when you're eating ramen, okay, even when your, your ten cent pack of ramen right just came out of the, the microwave, you can still worship Jesus. I know that's kind of hard to believe, right? Uh, whenever, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, you can do it for the glory of God. You can remember that He is the provider, that He takes care of us, that He nourishes us, that He ministers to us by caring for our needs. Like I said, God gave people His instructions to use those moments, to use those, uh, those feasting opportunities to remember him. The community of the table is one of love, its authenticity, its blessing, its joy, its diversity, and its serving when Christ is the centerpiece of our table. I know we live in a culture where the table is becoming more and more rare, like dinner table, like fewer people are just sitting down and enjoying dinner together. But it's a significant place. Moms and dads, It's a significant place for you to speak life into your children and to ask them how they're doing, to engage them. It's a great opportunity to do that. There's something that's going on when we sit down and we eat together that is spiritual, that is an opportunity for us to engage our kids. It means to put down the iPhone, Dad. They can wait, right? I'm talking to myself here. Put put away the distractions and engage in the community of the table at home. On a church level, uh, the community of people that that are called the church, we have an opportunity to engage at the table, to invite each other into our homes. I know it's a lost art, hospitality in many ways is a lost art, but one of the things I love about Point Community Church is I love to see how people get together and they enjoy meals together. And there's a meaningful, significant thing that happens when you eat together. Isn't it interesting how somebody who's a complete stranger, when they come into your house and they sit at your table, walls are broken down relationships are built and established especially when they feed you good food right like you're my friend now i'm coming back here thank you i know i know where to go when i want that meal no it's 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 a beautiful thing that happens and for some of us maybe we haven't experienced that but god wants to redeem the table he wants to redeem the the moments where we sit and we eat and we enjoy one another I'm not trying to hyper-spiritualize this thing. I'm trying to help us open our eyes to see that God can actually use the table as a place to build community amongst his people. And that there's some beautiful things that happen when we come and gather around his table. It is a place of love. It is a place of blessing and learning. It is a place of diversity. It is a place of serving. It's a place and opportunity to remember God's goodness. Now, for some of you, maybe the extent of your prayer over your time at the table, is like my uncle. Every time I we went to my uncle's class, uh, uh, home, not class, home, uh, when during the summer we spent a, a week with them, he would always pray like this. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, amen. Boom, let's eat. That was his prayer. And I thought, okay, you're silly. But even beyond that, maybe our prayers are even just rote And we really forget just how God has provided, God has sustained us, God has, we don't have to get into these hyper-spiritual, in fact, when you're really hungry, the worst thing is to ask the person who prays the longest to pray, right? Don't you hate that? Like you're starving, and then Mr. Spiritual has to step in there and like pray the five-minute prayer, and you're smelling the food, and you're like drooling, and you're like, just get over it, right? My kids all start saying, amen, amen, amen. So if you come to my house and you pray too long, they'll start calling you out and saying amen, all right? But in our prayers, do we remember, not just because we're supposed to pray before we eat, do we remember God's goodness? Do we remember God's grace, his generosity, his mercy? Those physical uh, hunger pains that we have are even opportunities to be reminded of the spiritual hunger that God wants us to have. To come around the table, to enjoy God's goodness. Like I said earlier, God could have made food bland. He could have made it all taste like cardboard, But he didn't. He made it with all these unique flavors and smells. Because he's a God who wants us to enjoy, but to remember him as we enjoy, as we come to the table. But as I said earlier, this is not just about the literal table. It's not just about eating at your house or eating with other people at a restaurant or coffee, having coffee with somebody, or whatever it might be and enjoying that. It's a symbol of the community, the family God wants us to be in. And this year, as a church family, we call ourselves every week, if, you, if you've come here, if you, if you, maybe you're a guest here today or maybe you're new, you had not heard us say this consistently, but if you come enough, you're going to hear us talk about point as a family of Jesus followers who point people to life in Christ. That's our identity statement. And we say it over and over and over and over again. But one of the questions that sometimes we get, and maybe we want to make sure we're being really clear about, is what do we mean when we say we are family? We are a family. And in one sense, what we mean is that we have been invited to the table of God. To come together as the table, as the family of God, to participate in a meal. It's not just a physical meal, though that does include some of that sometimes, but literally a spiritual meal. That we are feasting on the goodness and the grace and the provision of God. And so that we are enjoying life in community together. Meals are, are not just about keeping us alive physically. They're opportunities to remember that we are alive and will be forever because of Jesus. They're not just meals to meet our physical needs. They're opportunities to remember God's perfect provision in Christ. It doesn't have to be the Passover meal to remember Jesus. It doesn't have to be a festival like the Old Testament festivals to remember Jesus. It just has to be uh, that we are mindful that God is the one who gives, that God is providing you might be thinking, okay, Nick, like, so what do I do with this? Where does this go? Well, I've tried to give you a few applications along the way, but here's the main application for today. You ready? Go eat more. I'm, I'm just kidding, totally. Some of you guys need to lighten up, all right? You're like, okay. Okay, listen, when you eat, the, the, the desire is to remember God, to remember him, to bless him to thank him, to, to, to remember God's goodness. You see, the, the, the meal is, is a great picture of the gospel. Again, and God providing what we lack. It's a good time to remember that Jesus has provided what we lack, which is the ability to earn our way to the table, to even get access to that table. Jesus has provided that through his, sal- through his sacrifice and giving us salvation. Isn't it interesting that as we went through the text, so we went through Genesis to Revelation at a very fast pace and at a very high level that in some ways you could actually make the case that the goal of salvation is that we would end up at the table with God. Isn't that neat? Just think about that. That at the end of the day the goal is that we would actually end up at the table, at the feast with God. Jesus said something powerful when he was doing communion for the first time. Showing them his body being broken and represented in the bread. Showing them that his blood would be spilled, when he said, I won't take this meal again until when? Until I return. But he's pointing to the fact that one day we will take this meal again with Jesus at the feast, at the marriage feast of the Lamb. Now that's going to be an awesome, awesome day for those of you who have put your trust in Jesus Christ to save you. You decided to get off the treadmill of trying to be a good person, go to church enough, read your Bible enough, pray enough, and realize that it's in the person of Jesus that you're saved, that his blood washes you clean regardless of how many times you've rebelled, and how many times you've sinned, how many times you've fallen. If you have received that free gift of salvation by faith, you have a seat at the table. You have a seat at the table, and your invitation can't be revoked because you've been given that invitation because of the person of Jesus. And I want you to know that I look forward to eating and feasting and celebrating with you one day at the table. Some people think the idea of heaven sounds very boring. That's because a lot of times the image is we're gonna hang out on clouds with little fleece diapers and we're gonna play harps and shoot little arrows, okay? That's not the Bible's picture of heaven. And some of you, I don't wanna see you like that. Actually, most of you, all of you. <laughs> here's what we know. The best images we can get of what heaven's gonna be like is a gigantic party. It's gonna be a party. I'm not talking about people just wasted over here on the curb, okay? I'm talking about celebrating. You know, here's the thing, that, that it, it drives me crazy. Like we talk about pointing people to life in Jesus and then you hang out with Christians and you're like, you guys are depressing. Like what's wrong with you? You have have life, but you look like death. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, being a Christ follower is not boring. Experiencing life in Jesus is fun and it's joyful. It's a celebration. And yeah, the celebration here is nothing like what it's going to be when we get to heaven. Because when we have the celebration in heaven, there will be no more pain and sickness and sorrow and sadness and suffering. Amen to that. Because reality is, is that all the stuff that really keeps us from wanting to celebrate will be done away with in the person of Jesus. He will come back and he'll fix it. And we'll be back like we're in the garden. And the menu is going to be laid out. and We're going to enjoy. But until that day, we can come to the table. We can come to the table. We can come to the community of people. We can enjoy God's goodness and his richness. What are some practical Applications as we think about what it means to be the family of God this year. Now, just a couple of things this morning. I've I've already alluded to some of these things, but I will say that if you are a Christ follower and if you've experienced life in Christ because you have laid down your self-salvation project and received the gift of salvation in, in Jesus, if you've received that and you have your invitation, then let's celebrate it. Let's enjoy it. When you eat a meal, when you spend time with people, Let the light of Christ permeate that meal. Let the light of Christ shine from your face. Remember to thank God for his goodness and for his provision. Let us lead our children, parents, to see that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, that he loves us so much that he would provide for us. And if if you've received the invitation The Bible talks about us giving uh, gospel proclamation, being on mission, living on mission, sharing the gospel, being witnesses of Jesus. I want you to understand that what that looks like really is, do you get to hand out invitations to the party? You get to invite people to come and celebrate the feast with our Savior. If you don't like parties, you're not going to like heaven, right? But you, you know that if you get to pass out invitations by both living with the joy of Christ in your life and sharing the truth of what Christ has done for us. It is a joyful experience. People, when we start talking about sharing the gospel, they kind of go, oh no, he's having that conversation again, making me feel guilty because I'm not telling people about Jesus enough. When you realize that we get to invite people to the table, we get to invite them to the table and we let Jesus let the Holy Spirit do the work of convincing them that that's where they want to be. That's the place to be. And if you have not received the invitation, and Jesus tells a parable about this very thing. If you've not received the invitation to the party, my prayer today is that you would. You would by faith receive the gift of salvation, eternal life. That you would receive the hope and the life, the forgiveness, the redemption that's in Jesus. Maybe for those of you that are believers, this week one of the most practical things you could do is invite neighbors to your table. Like literally, invite neighbors, coworkers, friends, somebody to your table. And just share in a non-weird churchy way. (laughs) Don't have to get your weird evangelism voice on. Just share with them like what God's done and how good he is. Let them see it on display at the table. But for those of you that have not received, my prayer is that you would receive. You don't have to earn it. Jesus has made a way for you to be there. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your provision. Thank you that you take care of us physically, that you feed us. I mean, you put that need in us Food is our fuel, and we survive by eating. But we know also your word says that man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so we know that true life, real life, everlasting life, forever with you life is going to come through receiving the person and work of Jesus by faith. Understanding that our salvation has been given to us and sealed for us in the person and work of Jesus and the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I pray even right now that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? Would you compel us to joy, to celebration, that you are a God who is good and generous, creative in the way that you provide food so that we might see your goodness? We might eat, drink, and worship. God, I pray that we would see that. I pray that over the coming weeks, as we talk about what it means to come to the table and, and we experience the community of the table, that we would see you for who you truly are, not what we've made you into, not what we've boxed you into, but we would see you for who you are, the good, good Father who loves us. May we feast. May we remember what the psalmist says when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God, we want to believe that. Help us to have a fresh taste of your goodness today.